turn to the Gospel of John. We're going through the Gospel of John. So today we're going to be talking about love, hate, and comfort. Love, hate, comfort. First of all, we're going to be talking about the love of God. Then we're going to be talking about the hatred of the world towards the people of God. And then we're going to be talking about the comfort of God. And I think the love of God and the, and the comfort of God is probably what we need to know the most right now. It's probably where we, we feel like, yeah, please park it there for a moment, preacher. I'm going through some stuff. But we also need to be aware that Jesus said there's going to be some people that really just don't like you simply by who you identify with. And I don't know if you've experienced persecution, but not many Christians really want to experience persecution. But uh, even if you're just kind of just an average Joe or average Mary Christian, just by you coming to church, owning a Bible, and saying that you have Jesus in your heart is enough. And you might not be obnoxious, you might not be a, a picketer, you know, and you might not be a sign wearer or a soapbox standing uh, preacher. All you need to do is just say that you love the Lord, and that's enough, and people will just simply not like you. The Bible uses harsher language than I just used, and we'll get to that. But there's some good news. God loves you, He loves those that hated Him that do hate him. He loves the enemies, and we were once enemies that he loved into the kingdom of God. And for those of us that are going through trials and tribulation and uh, just the winter of our life and seasons of doubt and darkness and, um, uh, and just physical uh, things uh, that are going wrong, God is a God of all comfort. I know that's easy to say, when you're not going through it physically. But I could say it with absolute confidence. Now, Paul preached about marriage with absolute confidence, and he wasn't even married. He preached on marriage and was the authority on the subject. And the reason why he had his confidence is because he knew the God that designed a marriage. And the reason why I have all confidence is because I know the God of all comfort. And he wants to comfort. Now, love of God. If you're with me, look at John chapter 15, starting in verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Verse 13. Greater love has no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I've commanded you. Verse 15, henceforth I call you uh, uh, no longer servants, for the servant knoweth not that is what his Lord does. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Verse 16, you've, you've not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain and whatsoever you ask, ask of the Father my name, and he will give it to you. Verse 17, these things I have commanded you that you love one another. Verse 18, he's going to, in these next few verses from 18 to 25, he's going to use the word hate eight times. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, that the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will also keep yours also. But all things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they have not known him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, and they had not sinned, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man have done, they had not known sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this comes to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without cause. Verse 26. But when the Comforter has come, whom I will send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus, I pray that you would guide us through your precious, inspired, preserved word of God. Through all these thousands of years, you've ministered to Christians that have lived in different countries, spoken different languages, all different cultures and backgrounds and political climates, some living in caves and in isolation and desolation, some living in prosperity like how we do here, some, some living in the worst of conditions. But through it all, Lord, you've You've been faithful. You've been a light in a, in a dark world that desperately needs you. And Lord, for just those that are just going through it right now, I just pray that you'd minister to them and just energize us and encourage us and edify us. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you go back to verse 11, chapter 15 and verse 11, we're going to talk first of all about the, the love of God. The love of God. He says in verse 11, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be filled or full. This is Jesus' joy. And I kind of liken it, and I'm not trying to be funny, but it is kind of funny. But when we have Jesus' juice, the back of the bottle reads 100% joy. It's one of the ingredients, and we have Jesus' juice. We have more than joy. We have his love. We have his peace. We have his goodness. We have his faithfulness. We have all that we need contained in Jesus, but he wants us to experience and to be able to express as circumstances, I guess, come around us and come upon us, the joy of Jesus. Now, the word happiness, which is what most people seek after, is based on the root word happening. If my happening is happening the way I want it to happen, then it just so happens that I'll be happy. Someone, did you record that? I just, I just did that Dr. Seuss thing. It's, happenings are based on your happenstance, your, your circumstance. Not good happenings, not so happy. Good happenings, happy, right? And we all kind of go up and down. I do. I do. 
Because the joy of the Lord is, is, it's, um, is otherworldly. It's supernatural in that when bad things happen to good Christians, how could you say you're happy? You're probably not happy because your happening is not really a good happening at all. Nothing to be happy about. There's a lot of people that can testify of that through different seasons of life. Now joy, and I want to be really sensitive here, Joy is available to any and all in the worst of circumstances. How could I say that? Because God promises. He promises to give you his joy. He promises to be with you. He promises to never leave you nor forsake you. He promises to do life and to go through all the bad happenings and the good happenings through, through the valley of the shadow of death. He, he promises to take this journey with you. And here's kind of a perplexing verse if you think about it because we have a high priest that's not unfamiliar with all of our, our soul issues, our psychological and our emotional issues. He knows what loss is. He knows... Uh, he knows our ups and downs. You know, dare say the, Bi- the Bible doesn't use the word depression, but Jesus knows what depression is. He knows what anxiety is. He knows what discouragement is. And here's something that seems kind of counterintuitive. It's in Hebrews where the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What in the world? Don't you know Jesus? You're going to go, they're going to spit on you, they're going to pluck your beard out, which would really hurt. I, I always think about the blood, the beard thing. And they had the big bushy beards. You can just grab a fingerful and just pull it. I mean, they, they, were, they were flogging you, mocking you, stealing your property, which you didn't have much anyways. Uh, they were beating you to the point of death. They not only crucified you with nine-inch nails, you had to rub up and down this old rugged cross with with a back full of open wounds, and you had to get a a breath each time you'd pull yourself up with the nerve endings through through your wrists and your feet just to grasp one more thing. So the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross. It seems, it seems crazy. What's the joy there? There's no, it doesn't seem like there's, there's much joy in those circumstances. Yet the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. So there's no real joy in those circumstances. But from God's perspective, joy came out of it. And joy can come out of bad circumstances when it's his joy in us overflowing from within us. So joy is not like a change of circumstances where Jesus maybe could have said, yeah, I'll have joy if I could bypass the cross. And remember Jesus in the garden, he was telling his friends, he, he said, hey, can you guys just watch and pray with me? Can you guys just kind of, can you do this experience with me? And this is actually healthy, by the way. A lot of us turn to different things. We have different coping mechanisms when when life is coming at us, and I don't want to get all therapeutic on you, uh, but we do. We turn to a lot of different things. A healthy example when life is coming at you 
is where Jesus turned to others. Yes, he had the Father. He had that, he had that, that horizontal or that vertical connection, but also he had that horizontal connection and he turned to others. That's, that's called securely attached. It's secure attachment. He had, he had a healthy approach to where he said, hey, and he was going through it so much so that he was sweating drops of blood. His body was, he was so, he was going through so much emotional and mental uh, anguish, anxiety, to the point where his, his capillaries were bursting. It was that intense. And they couldn't even uh, stay awake, but it doesn't matter. Jesus, he, he, he involved people into his experience uh, and his life. We could take a page out of this experience. When you're going through something, it's okay to lean on people. It's healthy. What, are you going to turn to a bottle of booze? You're going to turn to a bottle of pills? You're going to turn to some, some hobby, some addiction? It's okay to do self-care, but I'm just saying, when you're going through life, the healthiest, the healthiest, healthiest things we could do is to turn to a support network and thank God that he's given the local church as a support group. Amen? I know we're just a few, but look at the people around you. They're here for you, right? Get to know the people that are here. Um, do life with them. Be life to them. As we, We're all going to go through seasons of life. And so it's healthy to turn to one another. And then Jesus says in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Now this is the greatest of all commandments. It's the one ring that rules them all. Right? It's the ring that rules them all. Jesus isn't asking us something that he himself could not and did not fulfill. He not only is the only one who fulfilled it, he also gave us himself to fulfill it in and through us to, to those around us. For example, look at this deposit. Romans 5.5, it'll be on the screen. And hope makes us not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And the shed abroad in our hearts has the idea of there's so much of an abundance of God's supernatural love that it's as if this isn't just a garden hose with the kink in it. This is a fire. This is the type of love that's in your heart that when Moses smote the rock, that waters gushed out of this rock so much so that about six million people in the wilderness and their cattle and their livestock were able to drink of this abundant water that came from a simple rock. Think about that. Yeah, because I don't know what kind of imagery you have in your mind. He smote the rock and you think like, oh, just at the water cooler talking to my Jewish friends. You know, <laughs> This was so much water that it fed the nation of Israel and all of their livestock. So the idea that God has shed abroad in our hearts the love of God, I want you to picture the rock because that rock was Christ and that rock's in you and it's abundant. And his life and love in you flowing, overflowing through you to others is available if we're willing to allow the spigot to be turned on. Does that make sense? I want you to turn to some verses, and it's the next slide, and they'll be up there, and you're like, holy cow, Neil, I didn't, I thought, 
I thought you did all the verses for us. Why are you make? I'm going to get carpal tunnel with my thumb. I have to look at these? Well, we'll just do it really fast. But I just want you to kind of get familiar with where these passages are. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, go to Mark, if you would, chapter 12. And I'm going to turn to, I don't have, a, I don't have cheat sheets. But Matthew chapter 12, or Mark chapter 12, verse 29. And Jesus answered him and said, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. The second is namely this. Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Red letter edition, Jesus. <laughs> Look at John chapter 13. We, we were here last week as a reference. We weren't there as like a platform text, but John chapter 13, verse 34. Remember, Jesus is washing their feet. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all people know that you're my disciples, if you have love one towards another. And the, you'd say, what's the difference between this commandment in the New Testament and the Old Testament commandment to love God and to love others? He says, the, the caveat to this is, to love others as I have loved you. And, this, and that as I have loved you catch can't be pulled off with human strength. You think about God's infinite love, when does it start and when does it stop? God's infinite love towards you is never ending. It's 100% in infinite, unconditional unmerited, unending love coming at you 24 hours a day and not dependent on your behavior. He just loves you. I know, like, I'm just sitting here thinking, like, really? It's too good to be true. He really, he, love, he loves me all the time, all the time. He loves you all the time. And Jesus is saying, now love others the same way I loved you wait a second, I don't even love the people that I like that much. <laughs> How am I supposed to do that? You know, I, my wife, I do couples counseling, and I'm like, yeah, I, but I mean, I struggle too. You know, I, so Jesus is saying, love the way I loved you. And think about the people whom Jesus loved. He loves the unlovable people, the hard-to-love people, Sometimes we struggle with loving the people we like. How about loving the people we don't like? Now, that's really not, that's not just like kind of possible. That seems almost impossible. That's where this love of God shed abroad in our hearts comes out. Go to Romans chapter 13, if you'll go there next. So Romans 13. So kind of what it looks like in action. Verse 8. Owe no man any, anything but to love one another, for he that loves another has fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. There should, if there be any other commandment, and he's going through some of the ten, he didn't go through all of them, but you get the gist. He doesn't need to, because what he's saying, it's briefly, comp let me summarize this for you. It's summarized in this, that you shall love your neighbor... <laughs> 
I didn't know where the V became a B. You should love your neighbor as yourself, for love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Did you get that? If I loved you, I'm not going to covet your stuff. I'm not going to steal your stuff. I'm not going to lie to you. If I love you, I don't really need to keep the letter of the law because I'm not under the letter of the law. I'm under the Lord. And when I'm under the Lord and not under the law, what it looks like to live under the Lord is that I will be loving others the way God loved me. And and a Lord-style love living in me and through me isn't going to steal from you, isn't going to lie to you, isn't going to take advantage of you. the, the love that God has for me living in me and through me is going to be sacrificial. It's going to be others. It's going to be laced with grace and peace and mercy. It's going to be gentle. It's going to be kind. It's going to be meek. It's going to be the fruit of the Spirit. And everyone can, can use the fruit of the Spirit or receive the fruit of the Spirit because it's, it's, it's the life of God living through the life of the believer. Look at Galatians, Romans. Go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. So the opposite of love is Christian cannibalism. <laughs> Because if you don't do this, he says you're going to bite and devour one another. Reminds me of the last episode, Adam, of The Last of Us or whatever that is. Spoiler alert. And he claimed to be a preacher, too. That's pretty weird. James, towards the back of the Bible, James chapter 2. James is not with number two, kid. He's, James is with number one. But we're going to be turning into James chapter two. James chapter two, verse eight. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love your neighbors yourself, you do well. The royal law. Love, a law summed up in one word, love. If you don't, you're going to bite and devour the verse after this talks about having respect of persons. Well, I'll love them, but not them. Um, 1 Peter chapter 4. I tried to keep these in chronological. You see in how, how you notice that we're just keep going towards the back. James, or I mean, um, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. And above all these things, have fervent love among yourselves, for love shall cover a multitude of sins. And use hospitality one to another without grudging. So he says, above, above, above all things, have fervent love. What do you think fervent love means? Fervent love, zealous, passionate love. And we have this in us. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost that has been given unto us. Look at um, 1 John chapter 2, if you would. Keep going towards the back of the Bible. 1 John chapter 2, verse 8. 
Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him, because the darkness is past and the true light it now, uh, now shines. He that says he is in light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. But he that loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no occasion for stumbling in him. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of the Lord Jesus, or the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keeps his commandments dwells in him, and he in him. Hereby we know that he abides in us by the Spirit which he has given us. So there's evidence. The evidence is the life that's in us will love others through us because that's the life of Jesus. He's a lover. He's a lover. His doing is based on his being. He is identified as love. God is love, and that's what God does. If you are love, that's what you'll do. If you are hate, that's what you'll do. If you are bitter, that's what you'll do. If you're resentful, that's what you'll do. But if you're love, that's what you'll do. And God is love, and he, will, he put his love in us, and he wants to overflow it like that rock in the desert to everyone uh, around us. We just control the spigot. That's all. But we have the source. Look at 1 John chapter 4, if you're, if you're in 1 John still. Look at verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God loves his brother and sister also. Look at 2 John chapter 1, verse 5. There's only one chapter. And now I beseech you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto you, but that which we have from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is his love, that we walk after his commandments. And this is his commandment that, he, that you've heard from the beginning. You shall walk in it. And what's the commandment? When Jesus said, this is my commandment, I'm giving you a new commandment, here's my commandment, keep the commandments. Jesus isn't talking about the Old Testament law. He's talking about, here's the commandment. Love one another as I've loved you. That's it. That's the commandment. We don't have to convolute it or complicate it. That's the commandment. So back to our, our screen text. So we've gone through those. Look at the next slide here, which is the next verse in John 15. Verse 13, greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now Jesus demonstrated this not with words, but with deeds. He could have just shouted from heaven, I love you, but he stepped out of heaven to step up to the cross, to be laid in a grave, to step out of the grave, to step into your heart if you've received him by faith. John 10, 11 puts it this way. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Romans 5, 6, this is kind of a demonstration of the love we're talking about. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man uh, will one die, yet perhaps, peradventure, for a good man, uh, someone even dare to die. But God commends or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The next slide, Ephesians 5, and walk in love. Walk in this love. As you walk, this lover is in you anyways. Walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. 1 John 4, 9, and this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. 
Don't miss that part, that we might live through him. Not live for him, which is human effort, and it looks good, and it's okay, and it's no. But he live from him as your source. Jesus, I can't keep these commandments. There's people I don't want to love. You know, I just, I just want to be selfish. I just don't want to love people. <clears throat> I love the ministry, and I would, I would totally be a pastor and a counselor if it weren't for people. <laughs> just don't love, you know, I'm just joking, of course. So he's like, okay, you can live through Jesus, this infinite, unconditional lover. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the substitutionary sacrifice, making it possible that we could do life and be life and be love to those that are around us. Then he says, you're my friends, in verse 14 of John 15, if you do whatsoever I command. Notice how Jesus did not say, I will be your friends if. He was already our friend, and he will always be our friend, even if we don't return the friendship and love back towards him. He's friendly to us, even if we're not friendly towards him. Isn't that interesting? Jesus was a friend of sinners, even when the sinners weren't friends to Jesus. That's very interesting. He was our friend way back before we were his friend. He laid down his life for us to prove his friendship towards us. Isn't that interesting? Like Jesus reached out initially to be your friend. If it was social media, he's been trying to friend request you since eternity past. He's waiting for you to return that, that offer. If you doubt his friendship toward you, just consider that he, he called Judas Iscariot friend. Remember that. He called him friend. So he will never unfriend us. Look at this is a verse on the screen, 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are not faithful, you could even say or friendly, he will still be faithful and friendly to us. Christ cannot deny who he is. Even if we're not faithful, he will still be faithful to us. It's like Gomer and Hosea. Um, even when she wasn't faithful to the marriage, he was faithful to her right? And we're the church, we're the bride. Even when we're unfaithful to Christ, he's faithful to us. I don't know what that does to you. Some people say, well, if you tell people that, then they're going to, you're just teaching that they just go out and live however they want and be unfaithful. If that's, if that's your interpretation of it, just, I guess, beta test that all you want. You know, have fun. It's not, well, that's not the interpretation or the, but I, I've seen this happen over the years in ministry from teaching the grace of God in the, in the new covenant. I've seen people freak out. Oh, you mean to say that uh, if I do this, God will still love me? If I, you know, if I don't do this, God will still love me? Yeah. And people, you know what? And you tell people, like, you don't, you don't have to come to church, and God will still be your friend, and he'll still be faithful to you, and you'll still go to heaven, and your sins are still forgiven, and God, you know, you're still saved, and you're eternally safe and secure. And people are like, cool, see you later. I'll never come back. All that does is reveal like why they were coming in the first place. That's all that does. That's all that does. If that's your interpretation and you want to test it, then that's fine. Um, if you thought like I just get out of my get out of jail free card and have all the benefits and never and never do life and never do community and never love what God loves, which He loves His church and gave Himself for it, 
Um, if you don't want to love the things that God loves and be a part of what God wants to be a part of, and you just want to live your independent life, not doing life with Christians or um, being involved, and that's fine. You're, you're free to do that. It just kind of reveals that maybe you don't really love the things that Jesus loves. And that's okay. People are in different places in life. That's okay. But Jesus, I want you to know, um, he will never unfriend you. So his command for us is to love. And again, we cannot keep the command without receiving the power and the ability to do it. Here's a quote for you up on the screen. God does not remove the imperatives. He he relocates the empowerment. So in other words, he doesn't just... He doesn't remove the, the, this command to love. and Instead, it's an imperative. He wants us to love. Instead of removing that or making it a suggestion, he makes it a command. He doesn't, he doesn't remove that imperative. Instead, he relocates the empowerment. The empowerment was him, and he puts his life in you, and now he says, now you could do it. Now you could do it. What I've commanded you, he's not only done it, so he's not commanding, he's not telling us to do something he didn't do, for one. He's not a hypocrite. And he's not telling us to do something that he didn't equip us to do it. No soldier buys their own bullets. No soldier, you know, your son was in the, in the tanks, um, and I was talking to him one time about uh, operating tanks, and he said, like, it was a boyhood, boyhood dream. I got to... And I was tell, asking him about the dynamics of being in, in the, the cockpit of a tank. And the way he described it, it was, I mean, you could only see it in movies, like Fury or whatever, you know. But a modern tank and just the expense of putting a shell and shooting it. I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of dollars one, one of those is. Not only the gas, not only the, the equipment, not only the salary, um, everything's taken care of by the federal government. And I know you're like, you know, I, I know. And we got our own border. We got our, our own, we need to take care of our own. I get it, I get it, I get it. We need to take care of other countries with their other proxy wars. I get it. But no soldier goes to battle on their own dime. And God is asking us to, he's like asking us to go be lovers in a community and he's given you the equipment to do it. Do you get, you get the analogy? He not only did it, he's empowering you and he's equipping us to do what he called us to do. Verse 15 of, of um, John 15, 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant not knows what his Lord does, but I've called you friends. For all things I've heard of my Father, I've made known unto you. Now this is interesting because a slave or a servant is different than a son. A servant is different than a friend also. A servant does not have a relationship like a friend does. Friends are intimate. Servants are distant. Friends love. They laugh. They share life. Servants are just concerned about their own life, not, the one, not so much the one who they serve. A servant is under rules <coughs> whereby... The son has a vested interest, even if it's like a business and they're, they're the due responsibilities. If someone's just an employee, for example, you just leave the job when the job's done. But if you're a co-owner and you're, it's your family business, you're interested in it. You might even show up early. You, look, if you're a son and it's, it's the family business, um, 
Put up the next slide, family business, if you would. If you're, if you're in this, you know, Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. He was interested in the things that the father was interested in. So as in the family business, he was concerned with the kingdom and with people and loving people. And because we're adopted into the family, we are now joint heirs with the family business. And it's the best business in the universe. Think about it. You have now just, uh, we had a, a kid earlier that's saying, hey, pray for me, I'm looking for employment. Um, and we all, need, we all need earthly jobs, but your heavenly job that's been given to you by just being birthed into the family, I've said this before, we're ambassadors, but we're like, uh, we're ministers of, uh, of life, of the new covenant, but we're in the, we're in the family business which means if you, if you have your family's business, you care about the results. You care about what it looks like. You care about its prosperity. You care about um, its functionality. You care about it because you're related to it, and it's yours. You take ownership of it. If you're just a hireling, you're in and out. You'll, you'll show up late. You'll call in sick, right? <laughs> you're out of there as soon as the clock hits or even earlier, you know, you know what that's like. If it's not your business and you don't really care about it, you're just in and out. It's just a job. That's a hireling. That's, that's, a, that's a servant. But a son or a daughter looks at that altogether different. And so Jesus says, I don't call you servants. I call you sons and daughters. That's why it, the relationship is different. So when we're about our father's business, it's different it's not a duty as if, like, oh, I have to or else I'm going to get fired. It's a delight. It's a privilege. We, we have the best business in the universe. We have the best. Uh, it's not a small business owner. He's a big business owner. Right? This is the one of the universe. Turn to Galatians to make this point. Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to have to copy and paste. Like, I'm noticing this is, there's a lot of verses here. But I do want you to see this. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Just to kind of go off this idea. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. I'm not going to stop and make a lot of points, but the point to this, if you could get saved by keeping the law, you don't need another law. Just try the 613 commandments in the Mosaic law, and you'll, you'll soon find out you can't even do 10 of them. The big 10. We can't even do those. So he's, he's basically saying if there was a way to get eternal life and it was based on your effort and your works and your own self-righteousness, the law, there's nothing wrong with the law. The, the law points out there's something wrong with us, and that's the point of the law. It's not to make you, it's to break you. That's the point of the law. And so, and that's his point with the Galatians. But the scripture has concluded all under sin that the promise by faith uh, of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe, not achieve, but believe. But before faith came, or faith in Jesus, uh, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, 
what should afterwards be revealed. Uh, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, or Jesus, and he's the object of our faith, we're no longer under a schoolmaster or tutors or this weird, um, you know, servitude type of things. For you are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have put on Christ. There is therefore no Jew nor Greek, there is nor bond nor free, there is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then are you Abraham's seed, that promised seed to be the blessing to all nations, not just one, but many, and heirs according to the promise. Here's this family business idea. Look at verse chapter 4, verse 1 of Galatians. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be lords over all. Why? Because when he's a little child, he needs to be, you know, uh, he has to have tutors and governors and teachers. And so it's like he's not really, he's free, but he's not living like he's free. He hasn't come into his own yet. But he's under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made it under the woman, made it under the law. This is the virgin birth. This is the Christmas story. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, you are no more a servant, but a son and a daughter, and if a son and a daughter, then an heir of God through Christ. So Jesus said, I don't, I don't any longer call you servants. I call you sons and daughters. I call you friends. Do you see that intimate relationship that he's talking about? It's not like a business transaction. And let's face it, God is not saving you for what he wants to get out of you. What could he get out of you? Or what does he need from you anyways, or from me? I mean, think about it. The one that said, let there be light, he's like, oh, by the way, I need, I need you to guys really just rock it for Jesus in Garden Grove, because if you don't, heaven and earth depend on it. Now, I don't want to take that as like, okay, I'll just be lazy, and you know, God, you've got the whole universe, so you, you just take it from here. I'm just going to not do anything. Ex- ex- you know, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain, that build it. There's a co-laboring that's going on. So I build, he builds. What we talked about last week, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. There's still participation. Some are planting, some are watering. This is planting, and this is also watering. Just give out a card. Pray about what, can I, what kind of communication can I have with someone that doesn't know you or that's been discouraged or maybe kind of left um, and maybe on their way back. I don't know. Pray, what Lord? And he says, the Bible says, don't forsake your gathering together, uh, uh, the ecclesia or church, as is the manner of some. But he says, encourage one another, and so much so, so much so as you see the day approaching. So if you're like me and you're seeing wars, rumors of wars, viruses, epidemics, financial problems. If you're starting to see things as the way a lot of people are, like what in the world's going on, that's not the time to forsake church. That's the time to go, church, to, go to church and to edify and comfort one another. He, and he says this, and so much more as you see the day approaching. It's not the day of isolation. 
It's the day of, of gathering together and circling the wagons. So Paul said this, as when I was a child, I think it's this next slide, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, uh, and I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And I'm just, I'm just riffing off of that Galatians 4, where he says, when we were little, we were under tutors, and that we needed all that stuff. But now that we're related to Jesus, and we're, we're adopted into the family, we've been given stewardship responsibility in the Father's business, we don't, you know, I don't need to be taught like a child. I need to have a relationship with God as an adult friend, someone that really digs the business of God. Verse 16, I'm going to speed up here. It says, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you uh, that you go bring forth fruit. This is literally in reference to Jesus picking the apostles. Men don't pick apostles. Jesus picks apostles. And if you'll remember our Revelation series, which I don't expect you would, but when we were in the latter part, I think it's chapter 21, talks about the, the new heaven and the new Jerusalem, but there's 12 stones, and there are the 12 names of the apostles. That's how big of a deal the apostles are. And don't think Judas's name is there. He, it wasn't. I, I believe, for me, it was the apostle Paul was that last stone. Because remember, Paul didn't even pick Paul. Jesus picked Paul, and he became an apostle. Remember, Peter had the idea, like, okay, which hand? It's either going to be St Stephen or Matthias. I don't like Matthias. He's probably, like, trying to rig it. Like, they, they basically did, like, like, casting lots. It's like, you ever did that as a kid, the biggest straw? And so, and he's like, okay, he's the, he's the apostle that is replacing um, that idiot Judas. And then Jesus comes along and is like, that's great, you guys. I'm glad you guys had that plan, but I'm picking, a, I'm picking Paul. And Paul turned the world upside down for Christ. Jesus says, verse 17, these things I commanded you that you love one another. We covered that in John 15, 11. So the law is summed up in one word, love. People say, well, you're, you're a new covenant Christian. You don't keep the law. Yeah, we do. It's, it's summed up in love. So let's talk about hate and comfort, but let's just do this kind of fast. Verse 18, the world hate you. It hated me before it hated you. And this word hate is interesting. It's the, it's the word misos, and it means to detest, especially to persecute. By extension, to love less, to be hateful. And there's a, there's a whole a lot of things that come forth from that. But I just think it's very interesting. Here, go to the, go to the next slide. I don't think, yeah, uh, just leave that up there for a second. Look at uh, the word in this cluster of verses. The word hate appears eight times. And Jesus is saying, you shouldn't be surprised if they hate you. They hated me before they hated you. They hated me before they hated you. Look, no one wants to be hated. And I'm not looking, you know, to pick a fight with anyone or to be at odds with anyone. I'd rather just keep the peace. But Jesus said, it, really, just by your mere identifying with Jesus is enough for people uh, to hate you. And that's sad. So 
My, my only thought to that is, let us not be the people who cause the unbelievers to say, hey, Jesus I like, the Christians I don't like. You know, like a lot of people say, yeah, I, I like Jesus, and I don't even know if they know what they're saying or if they really do, but they have some sort of excuse that they don't want to, you know, come to church or be a part of church or anything like that because of the Christians. And I, I think that's because of our hypocrisy. I think that's, you know, if I was Bob Barker or whoever the guy is that did the Family Feud, the number one answer, why people don't come to church, survey said, hypocrisy. <laughs> Normally it's the number one answer. You know what I'm talking about. And look, we're not perfect, nor are we claiming to be perfect, but I think what we do is we make people mad. And sometimes it's not even what you say or what you do, it's really just kind of the light that you have within you. People don't, the Bible says people don't come to the light because they hate the light because it will show their sins and their deeds and it exposes them. I remember one time I went to uh, get Chinese food and, the, and I was just starting to read the Bible and at the Chinese food place, uh, there was a bar off to the side. There was a lobby, the restaurant and the bar. I didn't want to go into the restaurant and all the seats were full in the lobby waiting for takeout. I just was driving there to pick it up. This is way before cell phones and DoorDash. Um, I had to go manually go and get the food. <laughs> and I went there, and I had my Bible. And I'm like, well, there's nowhere to sit here. And so I went into the bar, and I sat my Bible down. It was a big Bible on the bar. And there was a bunch of older gentlemen there. It was dark. Everyone had their, all the chairs turned. They all just went like this. The swivel chairs, you know, the bar stools. And they swiveled that way, and I sat in the middle. They swiveled that way away from this, and they swiveled this way, because I just sat the Bible down in this dark bar. <laughs> and all the chairs started swiveling, except this one guy that sat next to me, and that, maybe he's like, oh, I'm cornered, or I can't get out of it. But he started saying, I used to read the Bible, and he started crying. He's like, I, I used to read the Bible. I didn't say one word. I didn't say one stinking word. I just set the Bible down in a bar, waiting for my Chinese food. I wasn't going there as a missionary or to like, I'm going to lead the whole bar to Christ, even if they're in between wontons and noodles and egg rolls and and Saki and Jack Daniels and Jameson. I wasn't. I didn't have that intention. I just, and I ended up being late to picking up my food and having the conversation with this guy. But people hate the light. They just don't like the light. But I don't want it to be the reason. And let, let's go to this next slide. Um, Let's turn there really fast. This is kind of an important passage for us to catch on this topic. In 1 Peter, we're almost done. In 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, Beloved, verse 12, Think it not strange about the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be uh, reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And on their part, 
he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, please don't, church, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matter. What's that? Well, gossip, meddling. What's your, what's your social media a footprint look like? You know what I mean? Like we could be pretty busy in other people's matters. And we, you know, and they're, again, they're just looking for a reason not to believe. And all I'm saying is let's not be that reason. Let's not, and they're going to find a reason, but let's not give them an obvious reason, if that makes sense. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let them not be ashamed. But let them glorify God on this behalf. In other words, if you're not a busybody or you're, you're causing things to be a stumbling block for people and you're just a Christian and they have a problem with just that, which will happen, by the way, because they hated Jesus before they hated you, it's okay. You glorify God. On the, there's nothing you can do about it. That's why some people don't even want to be a Christian. right? It's not woke enough, I guess. Um, and then lastly, and I'll just end here, verse 26 of John 15, our platform verses. But when the Comforter has come, whom I will send you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. And I want you to really see the Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 verse. It's the next slide. Look at this. The God of all comfort... And this is not just a slide, this is a text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He's the Father of mercies. You know, if someone says, oh, that's all Father time, what, do you, what is that a reference to? It means he's the, he owns time. It's like, oh, son. <laughs> he looks down at time. But he's the father of mercies, and he's the God of all comfort. And it says that he comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with we, which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we shall share abundantly in comfort too. There's a... I don't... People that have gone through cancer and horrendous life trials physically, I will probably go through it too. I just haven't done it yet. Usually people that have gone through it and then have seen God's comfort are really well-equipped to comfort people coming up behind them that are going to be going through the same thing. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? If you've lost a loved one, mother, father, spouse, child, God forbid. And you've gone through that, and, and though we live in a fallen world and bad things happen to, to good Christians, but you've seen God's grace was sufficient and you were comforted through that, and maybe God's network, his church has come alongside, and you've got some verses that you never saw before. You're like, I didn't know that was in the Bible. And all of a sudden things are start like coming and pouring into you because you're, you're, you're humble enough to then be on the receiving side and your eyes are wide open to it and you're seeing things differently and you find out that through this dark valley of the shadow of death that God's grace is sufficient and he's comforting you, guess what? The people that are coming behind you that are going to be experiencing something similar, you're able to then comfort them with the same comfort 
you were comforted by God. God's the God of all comfort, and he's in you, and he wants to give you comfort, and he wants to be comfort, and he wants to comfort those uh, around you. And then the last verse, and you shall also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Literally, this is a direct reference to the work in the ministry of the apostles, uh, whom the Lord handpicked for the task of telling the world about the events in the life of Jesus. But this is kind of what the apostle John is doing through this gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But I think it's best summarized by one of the last verses he wrote. So let's go to this last passage. John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written, these accounts in the gospel of John, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. Jesus means Savior. Christ means anointed. The Son of God. This is deity. And that believing you might have life in his name. It doesn't mean that he's going to remove all the bad happenings. But even with bad happenings, you could have joy. It doesn't mean that the world will not hate you or mistreat you or even say bad things about you. He said, yeah, expect it. They, because, because you know me, they will hate you. But also know that he's given us the opportunity to not only receive this divine, abundant, unconditional, 24-7 love, he sourced it in our hearts so we could outsource it to others. And hopefully, for those that are hard to love, that don't know God's love, that we could be busy about our Father's business. You know, when you're a friend, you care about what your friends care about. And Jesus said, you're my friends. So let's care about what he cares about. Right? That's what friends do. The friends, even if you're not interested in their hobbies, you're like, hey, cool, that's kind of cool. I care about hearing that. Because you're my friend. Right? Let's care about the things that Jesus cares about. Let's stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this church. Again, I pray for all those that aren't here this morning, that you would be the God of all comfort to them. And Lord, as your support group, as your support network, the Christian local church that you've built and established for these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Help us not to just do church now, but to go and be the church uh, to those that need comfort so we could give the comfort wherewith we've been comforted from you. And um, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.